Life Audio. Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we want to continue our series on a biblical response to abortion, a biblical response to abortion. And after a word from our sponsors, we'll get started on the topic today. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And if you missed our previous two episodes on this topic, we ask that you go uh, to our website, srministries.org, or visit the various platforms, um, Spotify, Apple, uh, other platforms for you to listen to the podcast. Uh, you can also access the podcast through our website, srministries.org. Now, as we continue this discussion um, my attempt and goal is to uh, show how we can process um, our social ethics in terms of looking at the world's issues from a Christian paradigm, not just on the topic of abortion, but if we were to implement the steps that I propose in episodes one and two, it doesn't matter what issues you're dealing with. If you follow that format, uh, you will be able to uh, go down the track of handling things the way that God wants us to handle it. And so I wanted to just continue um, our process of responding to social issues from a Christian paradigm. So there is such a uh, such a thing as Christian ethics versus worldly ethics. Um, I've talked about that numerous times. Christian ethics versus worldly ethics, where Christian ethics deals with um, how to handle uh, world's issues or how to make decisions, how to govern ourselves from a deontological perspective or a virtue ethics perspective versus a worldly perspective. And by deont deontological, we are talking about duty-centered, meaning that uh, many of us 
uh, we do what's right or we do what's righteous because the Bible says so. That's the rule, right? The Bible is the rule book. So we use the rule book and we argue, I do this or I don't do this because the Bible says so. Then there's another view in the Christian camp that says, well, uh, I'd rather look at it from this perspective in terms of what we ought to do. God created humanity. Humans are not animals. Humans are not inanimate objects. Uh, humans are uh, created after the image of God. So we are different. Um, uh, God has made us a certain way. So as a result of how we've made and a result of how God wants humans to act, then that is my uh, my goal that is that that is my prescription for why I should do what I need to do so in other words uh, virtue ethics argue that we should do what needs to be done in terms of holiness because that's how God made us to be again uh, virtue ethics argue and I'm simplifying it argues that we ought to do human things or humane things based on biblical principles because God created us to behave a certain way, and we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the bottom line is, as a Christian, God expects a certain type of behavior. God expects a certain type of thinking. God expects a certain type of service. So how do we respond to issues such as infanticide? Infanticide, and, and, and how do we uh, respond to issues uh, such as homosexuality? How do we uh, respond to issues such as greed? How do we respond to issues such as uh, poly, uh, polytheism or pluralism uh, or, or, or monogamy and, and, and polygamy? How, how do we handle these issues? So God wants us to handle it from a biblical perspective, not necessarily based on uh, how you were raised or how you think or your own subjective experiences. Uh, Those things can be factored in, but make sure that you filter your own personal experiences by the Word of God. A lot of people mean well in this uh, life that we're in, but because we're humans, we're susceptible to giving wrong advice. And sometimes even our own parents can give us wrong advice. So we need to make sure that whatever we believe in, whatever we embrace, we filter it by the word of God because the word of God is always truthful. It's always precise. The word of God is always there to guide us. So we need to make sure that we bring it to God. Now, uh, we talked about some of the verbiage associated with abortion. We talked about uh, people say they have a choice. And if you didn't get the, uh, not the argument, but the answer or response to free choice or free will, go back to the previous episodes where I unpacked that concept. Then the right to privacy, uh, where the mother's personal right to choose supersedes the right of the fetus, right? And, and, and that's what some people argue. So I responded to that on the previous episode. Then we we attempted to define what a fetus is. Uh, When an egg and sperm come in contact, whereby they produce a zygote, 
Uh, so in other words, the union of the f- uh, female egg along with the male sperm creates a zygote, and this zygote ultimately develops into an embryo uh, between the fifth to ten-week stage. Then the embryo then becomes a fetus at the 11-week stage. So we talked about that. Now today I want to continue the, uh, the uh, glossary terms that's associated with a, abortion, and we want to talk about the body. We want to talk about the body. Uh, are we fully autonomous as, as, a, as, as Christians uh, or even as human beings, right? Are we fully autonomous? Meaning that um, is our body our own? That's the question. And the world would argue that, yes, my body is mine. It's nobody else's. And so I threw out this um, unconventional consideration in the previous episode. Is our body really ours? We say it's ours, right, because we are separate from our, 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 our parents. We're separate from our mother especially. Uh, we're not connected to her anymore. And so we can say that we are a free person. Now, is it possible that our mothers, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but uh, is it possible that our mothers would have a legal ground to say, no, I, cre- I, I brought this person into the world and they're not freely autonomous uh, because I, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be here. So um, they're not, they don't re- freely or own their bodies 100%. I also have a percentage in them being who they are. So that means that when a decision is made, then the mother can say, uh, I also need to be a part of this decision because I brought this person into the world. Now, it may sound comical. It may sound uh, unpl- uh, uh, um, uh, illogical, but it could happen. So let me say this. The question is for the Christian, are we freely autonomous, meaning that our body is our own to the point that no one can tell us what to do, which means God can't tell you what to do, which means uh, the, the, the people in your lives can't tell you what to do. And some people, some Christians actually embrace this concept of I'm, I'm fully autonomous. I, I don't need to answer to nobody in terms of my body. This is my body. Let's see what the uh, Bible tells us about the concept of the body. And this is not all the scriptures. This is just some scriptures. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, Paul is dealing with uh, the kingdom of God concept. Let us take a break to recognize our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Um, he, he, he's, he's, he's dealing with, uh, issues going on inside the church. And he talks about, uh, we being the temple of the Holy Ghost. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so if we're the temple of the Holy Ghost, He's using that in a symbolic way. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
that, that he's, he's painting a picture for us to consider. We are the temple of God. And if we're the temple of God, then that means that God uh, sees our body differently. It's not just our body anymore. We are God's temple. So that means that God expects a say-so over what we do because uh, the temple represents, uh, especially in the Old Testament, the temple uh, uh, was dedicated to God. The temple was made holy, and that word holy means set aside for God to use. So if we are the temple of the Holy Ghost, then that means that our bodies have to be offered up to God as Christians. Our bodies have been set aside for God to use. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, we see that uh, Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your bodies. So as Christians, no, I can't just say that I'm, uh, I'm the decision maker of my body alone and, and, and God can't tell me anything. We won't verbalize it, but in many cases, many people uh, walk as if though God has no choice in what we do with our bodies. So, no, uh, when I say yes to the Lord, I gave him free reign over my life and what he can do with my body. That's a very uh, important uh, aspect. Um, And this uh, context in this chapter, uh, I always talk about context, context, context. You can't just go into a chapter and plug something out or pluck something out without investigating what went on before and went, what went on afterwards. Uh, Paul is dealing with the issue of sexual immorality. And so um, he, he, he's speaking to this Corinthian church, and he's dealing with the issue of sexual immorality. And Paul is trying to unpack this concept. In verse 12, he says, um, I have the right to do anything you say. He's quoting the, uh, some in the Corinthian church, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Uh, this is where in some translations it says all things are lawful, but all things are not expedient or, or prudent for you. Uh, verse 13, he said, you say food for the stomach and the, and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and, and the Lord for the body. See, again, God is mixed in with our bodies. You can't just do whatever you want with your body. God has a say-so. And God supersedes my wants because my wants are, uh, 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 are flaky. My, my, my wants uh, can't be trusted. Uh, some things I wanted, I'm glad that the Lord didn't give to me. Uh, because my, my, my wants oftentimes uh, are, are rooted in carnality. And, 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 and God 
wants to give us what we need, not necessarily what we want. Not, now, he's a good God, and he's so good that every now and then he throws in what we want. But God wants to say so. That's the bottom line. He wants to say so in what we do with our bodies. So in verse 14, he said, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. So he's pointing to Jesus, letting you know that we can't say, um, oh, Lord, that, uh, 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 I don't have the power to resist doing what I shouldn't be doing. We have the resurrection power to tap into, and that's what Paul is talking about. So whatever it is that you're thinking about doing with your body, uh, as, as relates to sexual immorality, God can give you the strength to not do the things you shouldn't be doing. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise you also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Verse 15. Uh, verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Again, don't get the wrong person. He's speaking to those in the Corinthian church. You just can't do what you want with your body. Verse 17, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So if you're going to unite with someone, make sure that you do it in holiness. That's what verse 17 is reemphasizing. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Uh Uh-oh. So you can sin against your own body. You can do things with your body. That's not permissible. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. That's the part I want Uh, everyone to remember. We're not our own. When we said yes to Jesus, uh, we said yes to the Lord. We gave him our our mouth. We gave him our eyes. We gave him our nose. We gave him our ears. We gave him our fingers. We gave him our heart. We gave him our passion. So we are not our own. We are not our own. So please don't buy into the rhetoric of many in the world that uh, they own their own bodies, and I have a right to do with my body what I want to do. No, you don't. Not as a Christian. As a Christian, we are not our own. And then that's for, uh, 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 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 19 and 20 that we, that we highlighted at the end. But uh, in chapter 7, Paul continues to work with the Corinthian church, and he illustrates what marriage should look like. So apparently, uh, in the marriage relationship, there were uh, couples who had a misunderstanding of who, uh, how, to, how, to, um, how to treat one another based on their intimacy. And so Paul was addressing uh, issues, um, for example, of a man uh, saying that I'm not going to fulfill my marital duties and be with my wife or vice versa. The wife says, I'm not going to fulfill my marital duty and be with my husband. So Paul says, now concerning the things, this first Corinthians chapter seven, verses one through four, uh, I want to make sure we get it in context. That's why I'm going back to uh, verse one. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. Right? 
that is possessive. The wife uh, belongs to the man, the husband, and the husband belongs to the woman, the wife. That's verse 2. Verse 3, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Verse 4, the wife hath not power of her own body. Uh Uh-oh. The wife hath not power of her own body. Again, God has a say-so over what we do with our bodies. But the husband, right? The wife hath not no power over her own body, but the husband has the power. And likewise, let's flip it. The husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. It's right there. Our bodies are not our own. God has a say-so. And God has given instructions over what we do with our bodies. So in a marriage relationship, we have rights over each other's bodies. Amen. And again, when I make that statement, uh, when, when I say we have rights over each other's bodies, that's inconsistency with biblical principles. Not We're not advocating a wife and a husband saying, I have a say-so over your body and offering to do something that's unbiblical. That's not what this is talking about. So that's the verbiage of the body as it relates to abortion, right? We talked about what the fetus is. We talked about uh, the choice. We talked about the body, right? We talked about the right to privacy. Now, uh, the legislation. Uh, people says we can't legislate morality. And to a degree, um, I, I understand, to a degree. There are many who argue that we should allow the world to do what they want to do because they're not accountable before God in the sense that uh, they're not Christians, so let the world do what they're going to do. That's what a lot of Christians are arguing. Uh, before there's legislation, we must understand God's view of the government, right? Before all of these uh, individual Christians talk about legislation, uh, do they fully understand what the Bible says about government? And so it's clear that Paul believes the concept of the government is ordained by God. Paul argues the following in Romans 13, right? If you look at Romans 13, 1 through 6, it deals with governance. Um, Paul says, uh, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. So in essence, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read the rest of it for the sake of time, but in essence, God instituted the government. And then if you keep reading Romans, it's talk about the government is set up, especially for those that break the rule. But that shouldn't apply to Christians. That's what Paul says, because we're not rule breakers. However, we see multiple times in the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, whereas the, uh, the apostles are carrying out God's will and the government gets in the way. So what the rule of thumb is as it relates to Christian ethics, when God's law goes against man's law or when man's law go against God's laws, we have to go with God's law because God's law always trumps man's law. Man's law is filled with flaws. God's law has no flaws. So when you reach a moral dilemma where uh, man's law conflicts with God's law, we have to go with God's law. So Christian ethics um, it's important. And whether you're dealing with abortion, whether you're dealing with uh, other uh, moral issues, we have to deal with it from a biblical perspective. And what is life? 
the heartbeat of a fetus can be determined as early as five and a half weeks. And what the scripture says is we have life at conception. Doesn't matter how man is counting it, but we have life at conception. Uh, the world has a skewed view of what, when life begins. Life begins uh, when we can determine a heartbeat. That's what the world says. Life begins when the body parts are formed. That's what the world says. But life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. Uh, read Psalms 139. Um, and, and you realize that God recognizes us. Read Psalm 51 and 5, and you realize how God views us. Uh, David reflected on his humanity in Psalms 51. While he was in the womb, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So David takes it all the way back to conception, Psalm 51 and 5. And so our view of life, has to be rooted in the scripture and not necessarily uh, what we think, how we feel, or what other people have told us. Well, we pray that uh, these episodes on uh, responding to abortion from a biblical perspective has been helpful. Remember to always to do for the truth of God, just like others do for a lie. Let us stand up and promote the gospel. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy messages has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. And as always, we would like to thank our friends at Life Audio for their partnership with us on this broadcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and a lot more. Please connect to lifeaudio.com. God's Word will change our life, but sometimes it's hard to know where to start. Well, that's where I come in. I'm Jody Nisnik, host of So Much More, Creating Space for God, a scripture meditation podcast. And each week, I guide you through a scripture, giving you space to listen to the Spirit and pray about what's on your heart. Then we have a thoughtful conversation with guests to help us go deeper. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.